welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, our first edition of 2023, alongside Adam Demuth and Sanyum Shrestha in the control room, the Big Sound Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and uh, good to be back with you here. At, uh, Mother Nature got in the way a little bit, and then uh, things just suddenly got followed up a little bit toward the, uh, the end of the first semester there, Matt, but uh, good to be back on the air. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. It has been. Um, been over yeah, a month. I didn't even look and see when the last time we were on was. But, yeah, it's uh, been over a month. You know, because we've been doing those live reads on the broadcast for, I know you and I do them, and then we get them on the public address, you know, during our games and stuff right. that we're broadcasting. And it's like, every time I hear that or I say it, I'm always like, hmm, it's been a little it's been while, a while since we've done that. Because I like to kind of plug, or I try to plug, right. whoever it is our latest guest is. Yep. And, um, yeah, I, I, I had nothing. So, yeah, I got nothing. It's been... Yeah, so, the last, uh, last group that was in was men's hockey. That was early December, so it's it has yeah indeed yeah. Been well, a while. like you said, the the you know the holiday season is tough. It uh, is. People are in finals and stuff, and you know we had a few that we wanted to do, but we had to put them off because right. of scheduling issues and stuff like that. But yeah, it's really good to be back, and uh, it's hard to believe that we're into another new year. I know. I mean, it just feels like I mean between you and I, we talk about this a lot. I mean, you and I are roughly the same age. It's the years seem to be going by faster. They are. I mean, they're not obviously because time yes, is time yes, is they linear. Are. They are, <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely feels like that when you get to a certain age. I think it starts to feel like it, it picks up that much more, and some of that's because of how busy you and I are. But right, uh, some of it is also just because you know it just you, your perspective changes, and you know that's sort of where we're at. I think the holidays went pretty well. On my end, they were pretty hectic. I don't know. I mean, on your end, I know I think they were pretty hectic too. I think they are for everybody though, really. I, yeah, they are, and it was it was nice this year. We didn't have to travel. Um, everybody came to our house, which was, was nice. Um, it's hectic when you're cranking out meals the way we were over those few days, but no, it was nice, uh, not having to pack everybody up, not having to pack up a three-year-old and all of his things and, and take all that on, you know, for the, the holiday road show as it is. But, uh, it's hectic when you have my whole family coming in for a couple of days, then they leave, you have eight hours to clean your house and then the next wave comes in and well yeah you have like three or four christmases or like a week yeah we, christmas, we had a couple like we like had that. a couple in there so yeah, yeah it was uh it was a it was a long week it was hectic but it was it was good um you know the the magic of the season for a child and when you can you can view it and experience it through that is just awesome right yeah. it's awesome you know before before i had a kid take it or leave it whatever right yeah. you know but you know now it's it's fun watching my little nephew that's kind of yeah. how it works for me too yeah. um there was this christmas was a little more ridiculous on my end um i've already told you this story but um my whole family came to see me i only had one christmas i didn't have the week worth that you had but um i got done working and then i was supposed to just drive right up because they were staying at surfside which mm -hmm. is in Toffee, minnesota for those of you who don't know it's a uh, um, near Bluefin Bay, it's it's actually run by the people who run Bluefin Bay. It's another resort, and uh, turned out because of the horrible storms that we had <laughs> during that time coming up, that they lost power up there three times, and I didn't know that at the resort. So I get done working on Christmas Eve. I'm driving up where I'm supposed to drive up. I get a call from my mom saying, "Well, don't come. We're coming to you because we've lost power here now three times, and nobody wants to stay here if we have nothing, no power because it's a resort and there's nothing to do now." You know, we can't do this. We can't do that. So I said, okay. Um, Great. Yeah. So I'm not coming. Then I get a call from my dad like three or four minutes later. And now we have an update, which is you can come if you want. We're staying here, but there we may or may not have power when you get here. And I'm like, okay, what is it? Then I get another call from my mom basically saying, 
our new our new plan is to if we have power loss again we should come back and stay with you we're gonna have everybody stay with you and i'm this is this is before i've left town this is all happening but then another couple minutes go by i get another call and it's um now they want to stay everybody wants to stay regardless of whether we have power or not and you don't have to come if you don't want to but you can if you want and we would all really love to see you so Basically, at that point, I had to take a like a mental health check, and I had to stop and say, "Am I supposed to come or not? <laughs> just give me a yes or no." Get That's everybody a, on yes, the phone just, right now, yes, in the same I, room, and what are we doing? My parents can't even decide what's happening here, so I just said, "Okay, I'm coming." I don't. Like, so that was how my Christmas started, and it was okay. I mean, it ended up being okay after that. But I thought, boy, if this is how it's going to start. I don't know how much more <laughs> of that I can take. We had power the whole time I was there, so that's good. We didn't lose power again after that. So, and the. My sister cooked up a storm. Uh, I had beef tenderloin for the first time in I don't know how long. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was so good. It was so good. And she kind of, by the seat of her pants, kind of thought up uh, a, uh, a what ended up being a horseradish, sour cream, um, kind of a little bit of spice sauce to go along with the tenderloin. And it was fabulous. So good. And so I ate really well. Yes. You know, that was just one of the meals that we had. But that was like the standout one. Um, and then we ended up having brunch up at Lutzen at the dining room, which is like a classic dining room. For those of you who don't know, it's it's one of the more rustically perfect dining rooms on the North Shore mm-hmm. um, at the lodge there. And so it was good. But yeah, that whole come or not, we have no power. We might not have power. We might have to come and, scr- and crash at your house. I don't know what's happening right now. We might have to stay in Duluth another night. I don't know. It just it, it kind of was like <laughs> my hair was starting to stand on end a little bit. So I kind of had to do, like I said, a quick mental health check and just say, okay. Yes or no? Not everything is a yes or no question, but I need to know. Am I coming or not? Do you want me there or not? And then the, the consensus was yes. So I said, <laughs> okay, I'm coming. I'm but, glad uh, you finally figured that out. Yeah, that was, well, it, it turned into kind of a, <laughs> it's, it, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a way to begin. Routine. Yeah, it's, it's quite a thing. And I, I, I kind of got off the phone at that point after four conversations about this. And I was like, oh, gosh. I don't know if I can take anymore. You know, this is before this I'm, is I'm family out. I haven't. This left is from the interv- interval of closing the store and then getting in my car and then leaving town. Right. So it was all of 15 minutes, and I thought, okay, I can't take any more calls. Like no more, no more texts, no more calls, no more nothing. So, uh, uh, but other than that, it was good. And then I worked on New Year's, so which is fine. I don't mind that. I don't really do much for New Year's. I'm too old now. I go yep. to bed by about nine thirty, ten o'clock usually that night. And, yep. Because uh, I got too much to do, and I, you know, I. I'm I'm New Year's for me. It just kind of comes and goes. I know it's a big one for just another day for me. Yeah, just another day at this point. Uh, I've I've had my fun on New Year's, and that was many years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say the holidays were pretty typical. I got some really good gifts. Yep. So that was cool. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, just I guess other than that, it was pretty much the typical hullabaloo. Yeah, and and for us, I mean, it was the you know the holiday happened, and then right. two days later we were playing. Right, yeah, that's you know, right. There were yeah. games going just like that, so it's a good time for us to jump right into it now. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what has transpired with our sports teams over the last. I was going to say you and I called the game bit. together. We did. We finally. hadn't done that for. We finally got in one. Yeah, we finally got in one together. So uh, we're not going to talk about the games that we did broadcast because that was a while back. Now. That was a few weeks. But ago, yes. uh, we'll go through the last week, which has been a good one for mm-hmm. the UWS teams. Not a lot of games, but everything was pretty darn successful. Yep, <laughs> undefeated week for all the teams combined. So uh, not bad at all. Uh, we'll start out with women's hockey since they. Are kind of carrying the uh, carrying the uh, weight here for the for the teams this week. They played three games and won all three last week. So congratulations to Dano and company. They uh, 
They're they're playing really well right now. In mm-hmm. fact, I watched them last night in the game against Hamlin, and we'll talk about it in a second here. But uh, they've won their last four now, and they've only given up two goals in that entire stretch. So they're playing good hockey at the moment. Yes, they are. And let me I'm going to do the quick math in my head. Uh, let's see, 18, 21, 25 to 2. They've outscored the opposition in those four games. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. No kidding, right? Won their last four. <clears throat> Went 3-0 last week. Uh, they had a bunch of non-conference games in there. Those were all non-conference, unfortunately. Would have been nice if they were in conference, but they were non-conference. Uh, sw- swept Finlandia to begin the week in a pair of games up in uh, Hancock, Michigan. By scores of 7-0 and 11-0 on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. Games were played at the Houghton County Arena in Hancock, Michigan, before they defeated Hamlin last night in a really good game, 4-2. to Last night at Tria Rink in St. Paul. That's a place the Yellow Jacket men will be this week. We'll talk more about that in our final segment. But uh, in game one against Finlandia, UWS scored three times in the first and twice each in the second and third periods. The Yellow Jackets got two goals each from Avery Schwark and Emma Booth, while Jordan Swingle, Jenna Hoops, and Jada LeBlanc also scored for the Yellow Jackets in that game. UWS piled up 67 shots on goal. Rose Beeman pitched a shutout in goal with 12 total saves. And then in game two against the Lions, UWS scored three in the first and four each in the second and third periods. Emma Booth had a hat trick for the Yellow Jackets. Jenna Hoop scored twice, while Cora Coase, Ashton Parnell, Veda Roski, Jordan Swingle, Evelyn Andrade, and Gabby Andriachi also scored for the Yellow Jackets. Rose Beeman made 10 saves in gold, pick up her third straight shutout. And then last night against Hamlin in a really, really entertaining game that I happened to catch online last night as I was getting sleepy. Uh, goals from Anna Sherling, Cora Coase, Andrea Stelling, and Kaylee Swearhoon, while Rose Beeman, again, 32 saves in goal for the Yellow Jackets. So, Three up and three down the win uh, category for the Yellow Jackets last weekend, and they looked good doing it. Mm-hmm. Starting to kind of find their rhythm a little bit here. Find the, the rhythm a little bit, which is yeah. good, because they're about to jump into the teeth of the conference schedule yeah, now. Yeah. And uh, same thing with the men. They've got non-conference this weekend, and then it's conference play the rest of the way. And, you know, on both sides, the Y-axis meat grinder. Oh, yeah, it is. Holy Pretty cow. much. So a lot of ranked teams in there. Yep. It is. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so that's so a good time them. for them to be yeah. getting some stuff out and getting on a little bit of a run here. First time they swept to Hamlin since 2013 14, mm-hmm. I think. So, and that, that Hamlin, that's a good program. So, it is. You yeah. know, and at the time when they swept them, if you go back to 2013 14, they, they weren't. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then, uh, then they yeah. became a power after that. They became a power and, uh, in short order under, uh, uh Nally Darwitz. Nally Darwitz. That's who yep. it was. They yep. hired her and it took her like two years yeah. to go from doormat to NCAA tournament team. Yep. So, yep. and they yeah. won a couple of titles in there too, a couple yep. of my acts in there too. Yep. So, yeah, that's a good program they beat last Absolutely. night. Absolutely. So, men's basketball is on a nice little roll themselves. We'll go with them next. They've won their last three and a couple of those wins are big time wins. Yes. Which is nice to see. Yes. Defeated Northland College 79-62 in their UMAC home opener last Saturday at the Mertz. Yellow Jackets shot a sizzling 65.4% in the opening half and forced Lumberjacks to commit 15 first-half turnovers. A couple of people at the table kept asking me, is that right? Is that right? I'm like, they weren't missing. No. They weren't missing. No. I actually thought it was low. <laughs> <laughs> I did, too, because I ended up, I think Northland ended up with like 21 or 22, but it felt like more. Yeah. For the game. Mm. I, I, Because I, I broadcasted that game, I thought... There were an awful lot of turnovers in the game. Yeah. There weren't a lot of missed shots either way. Just a lot of turnovers. Yeah. You know, because I think we had 10. Yeah, we did. So it wasn't like, you know, there was a, a dearth of turnovers in no. there or a lot of missed shots. No, there was plenty uh, of uh, of turning over the basketball in there. But uh, thankfully, the Yellow Jackets shot the ball really well. Actually, they shot really well for the game. Yeah. Uh, and then in the second half, UWS never led by less than 12, led by as many as 25 to picking up the win. For the game, the Yellow Jackets near 60%, 59.6%. 
from the floor and had four players scoring double figures, led by our buddy Javon Walker. Mm-hmm. The rubber duck. Yep, the rubber ducky. He scored 17 points. He went eight for 10 from the field. That's pretty efficient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty efficient. Actually, everybody was pretty efficient yeah, on they that were. game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Reed Johnson had 14 points. He went four for nine from three-point range. Joseph Fahrenholtz finished with 13 points and eight rebounds. He was six for 10. And Levy Miguel, who's been a really nice uh, – Real nice player off the yeah, bench. Yeah, real nice player off the bench, four for five, mm-hmm. 10 points for him in the game as well. So the Yellow Jackets continuing their winning ways. And I was interested to see how they were going to respond to having played really well at the tournament in Naples, Florida, where they won two completely different style of games, and they beat a top-10 team for the first time in I don't know how long. I mean, we, we talked about it this week in the office. You're probably going back to the Ben Alf's buzzer beater against Whitewater. Yeah. You know, which is, what, 2014? I called that game, too. Yeah that, was, yeah, that was probably 13 or 14. Yeah, so, I mean, you're going back a decade. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and that was... That Whitewater team went on to win the national title. Yeah, game. so I mean that, yeah, that was so, a bona fide power in Division Three. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that was yeah, that was twenty probably thirteen fourteen. I have to mm-hmm. go back either that or twenty twelve thirteen. I'd have to go back and look, but yeah, yeah, it was somewhere in there. It was really something. Yeah, so good win for them, and they did not have to have a buzzer beater to win their game. Correct. Either. They uh, they beat John Carroll legitimately. Handily. Yeah, yeah, by eleven points. So. Yeah, by that seventeen at the half, and I remember looking at the stats going that that. What <laughs> I know, right? I was I, mean, I was. You expecting. and I were on the air uh, doing the hockey game, right? We talked about just now, and uh, Boy, holy cow! Yeah, that was as part of the uh, uh, Superior Showdown. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was something. Yeah, that was. We were both kind of like, wow, we'll, we'll take it. But I will say this: I will say this. The second half they played against Seamus Point was really a good half of basketball, and you could see they were kind of growing in confidence there. Mm-hmm. And if they had had even five more minutes, I think they win that game. Sure, because Seamus Point was hanging on, barely hanging on at the end of that game. Yeah. Um, you know, really bad first half against Stevens Point, which they'll admit. Really good second half, and they really, like I said, took the game pretty much over. And you could see the pointers were just trying to hold on. Yeah, literally by the end. So I mean, you go back that far, Matt. I mean, you're you're talking now seven consecutive halves of really good of basketball. really good solid basketball. Yeah, well, they just played really smart, and, yep. they, and and they're clicking really well right now. I mean, yeah. they looked really good against Northland in that game. And that Northland team isn't bad. No, they've got some players on that team. They do, but uh, yeah, they've come a was, long way. Yeah, they've come a long way. Some big boys on that team, too. Yes. Really big boys. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really nice win. And mm-hmm. the uh, Yellow Jacket women's basketball team, speaking of nice wins, snapped a two-game losing skid. They defeated Northland as well in game two of that doubleheader. They're now 5-6 and six overall, 3-0 in the UMAC. So in a good spot right now, having won their first three conference games, they defeated Northland 72-38. to On Saturday, the Yellow Jackets taking a 20-8 to lead after one. Before hanging at the intermission, leading 31-19. From there, the Yellow Jackets outscored the Lumberjills 21-11 in the third and 20-8 again in the fourth. So booking and bookending those 20-8 scores. To win by 34 for the game, UWS held north into just 21.8% shooting. Cool. Forced 24 turnovers. Yeah, there were a lot of missed shots in that game. UWS also limited the Lumberjills to one of 23 shooting from three-point range. And I can't remember the last time I saw a shooting percentage that low. It was like four-point-something percent. You know, and you go... <clears throat> Like I'm thinking back to that that game too, turnovers, a ton of fouls. Oh yeah, yeah. You know that that game was much more of a slog than the men's game. Yeah, the, the men's, men's game, game was actually flowing pretty well. Yeah, it had some yeah. nice flow to it. The women's game was an absolute slog. It was, it was. But it was, it was good to see the Yellow Jackets bounce yes. back and get their fifth yes. win. Uh, offensively, the Yellow Jackets had ten different players score, which is also a good sign. And they had four players scoring double figures. Kalen Christian and Sam Perendo each had twelve points in the game. Christian was three for twelve from the field and four for six from the line. Brando went three for four from the floor, also connected on all four for three throw attempts. Elise Bestenden and Brighton Kukowski, meanwhile, each scored 10 points. Bestenden was three for five from the field, and Kukowski made four out of seven from the floor in that win. So 
That caps off a undefeated week for the Yellow Jackets, five up and five down in Beautiful. the win category. We'll yeah. take it. Men's hockey was idle, and so was uh, men's and women's indoor track and field. So mm-hmm. uh, they'll be men's hockey will be in action coming up they're, this they're week. They're back at it, and then men's and women's track, track and field not week. at it until the following week. Yeah, but uh, anyway. Uh, Pretty good way to start the second half of the year, though. A real good way to start the yeah. second half. So, and, and and for us, awesome way for us to start the second half of, right, of yeah. podcast here as we are going to take a timeout and we come back on Eye of the Swarm, uh, getting away from Yellow Jacket Sports a little bit, but really excited to have Olympic gold medalist John Schuster joining us here in the studio. So First should, time for us. This should be a fun one. Yeah, very fun. I'm looking forward to it. We'll have that segment coming up right after this. You are listening to Eye of the Swarm. Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. I'm thinking (laughs) Hawaii. We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. We're back on Eye of the Swarm time for our roundtable segment, and it's not often that we decide to leave the world of Yellow Jacket sports. Uh, typically, when we have an outside guest on, they're somehow affiliated with the program, whether it's like Kenny Olson who was on, or when we had Corey come in and talk about the conference and everything. But a little bit of a different direction this week, and uh, a hell of a way to start out 2023 is we have Olympic gold medalist John Schuster in the studio with us. And full disclosure, we're from the same hometown. So it, it kind of made it a little bit easier to go, hey, we want to have you on the pod, even though you're not affiliated with us at all. But uh, He's a fan, though, of Yellow Jacket Sports. I, I, have, yeah. I have seen you from time to time at a, at a few contests, so I, I know that uh, you live on this side of the bridge. We do see you from time to time, and uh, good to have you in the room. It's good to be in the room. I'm kind of sad that I'm not affiliated with Yellow Jacket Sports, but I live in the town. I mean, come on. It's, <laughs> UWS is my team. That's what I mean. I, he, he, uh, those of you who don't know, John comes to quite a few. Uh, you know, yellow jacket athletic contest, and I see your wife quite a bit as well. So it's, you know, your wife and your kids are always are also yellow jacket fans as well. So oh yeah, I got I'm uh, I'm building my uh, wardrobe of yellow jacket attire. I'm a UMD grad, so it's like I also have another team across the bridge too. But um, but I think you know we've lived in Superior long enough, and embracing the community is something that's high on our you know priority list that we always do and our kids are in so many sports i mean i think right now my kids are playing i think we're talking four different sports this winter and three in the summer so which i guess probably creates kind of uh you're, you're busy as it is you know with the family and everything but then in your profession you don't have a lot of downtime so i mean i guess it, it, it I, appre- I appreciate you carving out a little bit here for one of the you know our low-level podcasts <laughs> Oh, come on. And stop by and have a chat with us. (laughs) No, it's it's funny. Most people's downtime is on the weekends, whereas my downtime is like Monday through Friday, like nine to five. That's my downtime. Right, 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 right. But let's talk a little bit first before we, because I know there's, uh, we definitely do want to get into the the soccer and the Duluth FC thing at some point here. But talk to me a little bit just how, let's talk about the curling and how did that start for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm from, you know, same small town as you, Chisholm, that had a curling club, and, and my dad curled, so kind of always knew what it was, and he'd never let me try it because it was men's league, so he's like, nah, this is for the men. You, you want to do it, try it on a on a junior day, which was Sunday evenings, 
But I was a basketball player, and uh, in Chisholm basketball, if you played basketball, if you were caught in an ice or a snow sport, you'd run extra stair laps, and that didn't appeal to me either. So I never really tried it, pushed that envelope till sixth grade. But, you know, the first time I stepped on the ice, I just absolutely, like, fell in love with, like, the grace and the, you know, the challenge of getting rock, like, where you're trying to throw it. And mm-hmm. um, I've talked a lot about this recently because my kid played in the league with me for the first time a couple weeks ago, and it really brought me back to – you know, my growing up, I'm like, okay, you know, I actually did play in some leagues in seventh and eighth grade. Sorry, Bob. Um, <laughs> before I, before I made curling my full-time sport, but you know what I did is I transitioned. I left basketball after eighth grade and in ninth grade, I said, you know what? I was going to go to basketball practice every day after school. What happens if I go to the curling club every day after school? Like, mm-hmm. I wonder how far I could take this. And, uh, I never even made it to a junior national championship until I was out of high school. But, uh, obviously that set a great base for me to continue to, you know, get skill wise up toward the top and then, you know, figure out what it took to, you know, actually get over that hump and kind of stay there. And, and as I was talking to a group of team sports class at Duluth Marshall yesterday, I was like, yeah, I won my first junior state to make my first national championship in 2002. And since then, I think I have nine national championships, the world university games, gold, five Olympic appearances and world championship bronze. So it's been a pretty, pretty good run for the last 18, 20 years. I'd, I'd say, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty fancy resume. Other than that, he really hasn't done he much. He hasn't done much yeah. beside that at all. But it hasn't always been a smooth ride. No. You know, and I think that's one of the things I did want to touch on is this hasn't been just a, a constant, easy path that you just kept climbing a ladder here. There's ups and downs like there is in anything. And I know, you know, your story, it, it, it hasn't been perfect along the way. No, absolutely not. There's and, been adversity. Oh, I mean so much adversity. I mean, even week to week, there's adversity in any sport. And I think that's where, you know, even when I go and, you know, talk with sports teams and other coaches, you know, I'm pretty good friends with coach Mooney here and, um, just about those fluctuations and ups and downs and how to, you know, keep your eye on the target and, and decide if you still even want to be shooting at the same target for me, you know, like at the end of every year and for sure the end of every quad, you know, I sit down with my wife and we have a conversation about, okay, where, are we going to keep curling? You know, we, cause you know, me, but like as a family, it's a commitment from everybody. Mm-hmm. And you know, like what's that going to look like? And you know, are you still enjoying it? And for me, that's an every year kind of, kind of question I ask myself, but that's the important part too, because you know, those tough things like, you know, 2010 was obviously a, an Olympics that would be very forgettable for somebody, you know, the way I had it, I lost four last shots to win three games and we got benched, finished last place. Um, it would have been really easy to like just walk away and be like, you know what, I wasn't good enough. But instead, you know, to look at that and try to learn from it and not repeat the same mistakes and grow from it. And and I've always thought that I can grow and get better and figure out how to get to the top. And I think like 2018 was more of a validation of that more sure. than anything else. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I think people sometimes get the the misimpression or the wrong impression is the is the right terminology for it. the wrong impression that whether you're a professional athlete um you know playing football basketball or quote unquote the more marketable sports or you're an, an olympian like yourself uh who rises to the top at one point that it's always been just an easy you know ride all the way because people have been telling you how great you are every athlete faces some sort of adversity mm-hmm. i mean there's never been an athlete or a team for that matter that hasn't faced something that they've had to, you know, buckle down and say, "Wow, this is really kind of not great. <laughs> this is not fun right now. And we need to, we need to kind of, you know, uh, button down a little bit and really push hard." 
here uh, and 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 show what we're made of now. And and, and non curling fans think that I was a, you know like that are only watch curling during the Olympics think oh I've been really the only guy I've been the top guy but in 2010 and 2014 are the only national championship I won in that span from when I left the Olympic team after 2006 and we won our bronze between then and 2014 is we won the 2009 nationals, which were also the Olympic trials. And that was the only men's national championship I won in that eight year, eight year span. Right. Yeah. I mean, I tried to build teams and get people ready to win the Olympic trials. Like that's kind of been my MO of what I've done. But um, after that 2014 and getting cut from the national team, which is probably the biggest adversity that we, you know, where we just didn't get chosen to be on the national team, had to kind of build from scratch. But that process and this team we built and the players that, are on it, which is, you know, there's only been seven of us over that time frame. There was four, at, five at the beginning, and then we added, a, you know, got subtracted a guy, added a guy, and then Tyler retired, and then Chris came along, and now Colin's part of our team too, so there's just been a small group. And in that last eight years has been by far my most successful span of my career, where we've won, you know, a bunch of national championships. We went to a ton of worlds in a row, two Olympic trials, in Olympic gold, and, you know, fourth place at the last one. So, I mean, I think it, that's where it makes it also like if I were to say, well, that last Olympics is my last Olympics. Like, I think we're still better than we've ever been. So, Well, and it, it also kind of goes to show, John, what you're talking about just now is the fact that you have to get the right pieces. Yep. You can't just be you can't just put out four guys that are just really good curlers and say, OK, that's it. You got to fight the right, find the right chemistry, uh, you know, the right guy for the right time. Uh, you know, a guy who might do one thing better than another or might bring a different insight or a different viewpoint going into it. I mean. Sports are not as linear as people think they are. I mean, not you have to get the right close. chemistry. No. Yeah. You, you have to – there's more than just simply going out there and doing it. You know, like you have to have the right mindset. You have to have the, the right chemistry. It has, everybody has to be on the same page um, because, yeah, the skills are one thing, right? So Because there are a lot of guys that have the skills to do it. It's just a question, though, of, of the chemistry and, and how, you know, how is this group going to come together? And you hear coaches and players talk about that all the time. But that really is what it comes down to because there are a lot of – athletes in every sport that can execute the fundamentals and can do you know oh i can do i can make a shot here or i can you know or i can i you know i can i you know i can i can sweep you know hard enough here to get it to curl this way or whatever um speaking of your sport but that's across the board you know there are lots of people who can do all that kind of stuff it's just a question of how it all comes together and it's interesting to hear you you know talk about how it, it does take just the right chemistry and the right kind of pieces to make it work how did you go about that then? Because that's, are you in a constant state of scouting as you are going through your different events or how did, how did you no. go about building that team? I mean, I've, over the years, you just take notes of like, okay, what worked? You know, I'm always out there looking at, you know, who's being successful. Like what is driving that success? Is it because they, you know, were working their butt off? Um, do they just happen to, to somehow they happen to always be on teams that are, you know, near the top for me like you know when my I think my most important find you know I probably ever had was after the 2010 Olympics took a year play to somebody else and then I you know Jared Zezel was from Hibbing coming out of juniors and I knew he was a great player and I knew he practiced crazy and I asked Jared I said okay um if you were to pick one player that's in your age category because we have I have this other guy that's about my age um like who'd you pick to bring along kind of deal and he said you know John Lance and I was like oh, that's funny because First time I really noticed him throwing rocks is up at the last chance. And I was just like, man, I really like the way that, like, he throws the rock and, you know, whatever. And then I talked to John, and um, that was, you know, I think, like, May of 2011. 
And John Lansner has been my teammate for 11 years. And Jared probably continued to be my teammate, to be honest, but he kind of, you know, got a, you know, got away from the sport kind of thing. But, um, it's, but how that happens and, and something about the two of us, the way we interact really clicks the way he judges rocks is he's probably the best in the world at it about judging how fat, like when somebody lets go of the rock, he knows exactly where it's going 150 feet away, which a lot of the best guys in the world are also really good at it. But he like, is like a constant, like never misses. And it's just easy for him. And, you know, it's finding, having that teammate. And, and so I'm like, I'm looking to see like other great players, but I mean, I think then once we, you know, got that, you know, got the golden 18 and Tyler retired, you know, I think it was pretty, you know, seemed to be an easy choice for us to try to get Chris Plies along because, you know, I'd seen even the work that he had put into becoming like a world caliber third. Like that was what he was trying to be. And that's, you know, what the opening we had in our team and him and Matt had a history and him and I had a history like Chris and Matt won a world junior together in 2008. And Chris and I won a world university games goal together in 2007. So we had like history of success together too. So, um, but that's, it's exactly it is like when you find something that's successful for us is like, okay, like, will this piece fit in? And I think with our national team, the way it's set up now, we are all pretty much using the same team systems and those kind of things where to, to pull a guy out and plug a new guy and even Colin coming in and now playing. We have a five man team and we've kind of rotated through and it's just like seamless because we have been doing the same processes together and you know, his personality and who he is just happened to fit in so great with our team that it was like easy decision. You know, now that a couple of my teammates or one of my teammates, they're, you know, having children and we're getting to that point where, you know, being gone for a month or two or not having pressure to have to have kids in a certain window is like, you know, it takes all that pressure off us too. It sounds a little bit like the, uh, the Bob McDonald youth basketball program where it's, you start the process very, very young. And by the time you get up to that high school program, it, it, it's seamless. Exactly. And you can plug these guys in from 12th grade all the way down to seventh grade and they know exactly what to do and, and how to play. And I think that's where something I'm embracing a little bit more now being 40 um, is having a lot more communication with those younger players that are coming up to make sure that continues. Because I, Again, I've looked at this a lot now. You know, my kids are both playing basketball here and knowing that, you know, in Chisholm, what we did is, which I think is the most incredible thing ever, is like your high school team taught the kids that were kindergarten through sixth grade the game of basketball. And so they're, it's constant. This is constant wheel that keeps on turning but builds that community. And, and I've been trying to embrace that a lot more in the curling community lately to make sure I'm present, you know, for like juniors. Like I was, you know, did they have a junior national development team that, you know, Mike Poplinski, who was a 19 or a, yeah, 1998 Olympian for us, um, him and Jess Schultz, who was a two-time Olympian, started this. And I've been in there with that group just trying to <clears throat> pass forward my knowledge or any insights I might have to help that process be more like a wheel. I don't think that there are a lot of people who necessarily always understand or see how the national team process works for different squads, right? And right. this is where the Olympics are really unique. Because, I mean, you know, we just had a World Cup, you know, a soccer World Cup. And John's a soccer fan. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But th it's the same process. It's a similar process, it sounds like, in curling that it is in, in the soccer community, too. Because you're trying to build up a system throughout the entire, basically, national team program. And it doesn't just stay with the senior national team. It also goes down to the youth levels, too. And there's a constant evaluation going on because they all have – you know, at the soccer level, for instance, because that's my well, that's one of my areas of expert, quote unquote, expertise. You know, you have a U23 team, you have a U18 
20 team, you have a U18 team and there are, you know, national team kids or players that are playing at each of those levels. And what you're trying to do is kind of evaluate them, kind of get them used to the system that everybody's playing all the way going up to the national team and then plug them in so that they're ready to go. And that sounds like it's kind of the same thing in curling a little bit. Like that's kind of a similar idea. Yeah, but you can't really plug them in because in curling right. you still have actually our national championship that you have to go win. Okay. So you right. can plug in who you think is going to be successful, but that's the other part that makes it a little bit tough when you have some players like us that have the longevity we have. Sometimes, right. I mean, we, we lose a lot of our talent between the ages of 20 and 30 Okay. because they're having trouble you know, maybe they're not on the right teams or they're playing together and not having the success and curling becomes a red line item for them. Cause we don't have a ton of funding. Like our team is going to go over budget this year. We're gonna have to pay some money out of our own pocket or out of our, you know, sponsorships that we have as opposed to, you know, being a, something in the black. And I know if that's happening with us, the teams traveling that are under the age of 25 that don't have the sponsorship and don't have, you know, the level of national team support we do. So it's curling is a tricky thing to hang yeah, on to. You yeah. have to have, I mean, it's that's why I realize now like how important it was to have, you know, get onto a great men's team that we could that I could have that success with early. I won a men's national championship before I won a junior national championship because I happened to be on a great men's team. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What because you're you, some of it is there's a little bit you got to get a break in there. So what was that break for you that kind of got you from the the I don't want to use the for it, but I will recreational curler to this is this can be something a heck of a lot bigger. So what was that break in in your game? I mean, for me, we were on the cash spiel circuit. So like St. Paul, Duluth, a little bit of Madison when we were playing in juniors. And, and we were, you know, qualifying for playoffs as a junior team. So like we were, people kind of knew who we were. But then when I we finally won the state championship my freshman year of college when I was 19 and then uh, went on and, you know, we got second at, at nationals. Um, you know, Pete Fenson's dad, Bob, was coaching his team and they needed a player. And he called up. John Lesnick, who is our junior coordinator in Chisholm, said, I know you got a bunch of good juniors that are, you know, between 18 and 21. Like, any of these guys maybe would want to come home and play over with Pete and uh, and Eric. And and it just so happened that I think they asked – I was – I was thought I was going to be playing on another men's team that was looking for a guy, but they never got back to me. And, and so, luckily, a couple of those other kids just still wanted to focus on juniors. But I just – I knew I wanted to grow and learn the men's game and play a different level than I knew because I was pretty sure it was something I was going to continue doing after I was done with juniors. Where a lot of kids, you know, is trying to get to a junior world championship and that's you know good that's enough. It. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, and that's what I. It sounds like that's what, kind of what makes curling unique is the fact that you do have some players who are just like, look, I don't want to go this this far. I want to go this far, or you know, there are some that are just like, well. I've really enjoyed my curling experience, but, you know, uh, I'm going to go and do something else. Now I don't completely. think that's all that unique, though. I mean, there's <clears throat> okay. a lot of – I think there's a lot of kids playing in high school that are, you know, getting and going and playing collegiate sports that know that that's – That's that, where it's going to go. That's, yeah. the end of, that's the end of their sporting career, but they're able to use that to maybe get scholarships or to right. have, you know, like that experience, that team experience in college and have this group of people, and I and they know – I think most of them know that their end of their high competitive career is right there, and that's where it's going to take them. And it's not that. So I, I actually think curling is not that dissimilar from from the rest of the sports in that in that caveat that that would be about right. the time is when they graduate college would be about the time when that junior career is over, and and then yeah they want to you know move on with life. Almost none of them stop curling. They don't just like leave the sport, right? Yeah, they'll just, just but they'll just become you know recreational curlers and club curlers and members of curling clubs because. That's the special part about our sport. I mean, I just went and played league last night, and people are like, I can't believe you do this. I'm like, that's what I love about the sport is right. going 
playing in league with the people from my community and being a part of that community and sitting around a table after and catching up with the guys that play in league or if somebody I haven't played against in league, maybe a new team in league, like getting to know who these people are a little bit more than just casually seeing them out on the ice. Well, and that's that's what makes it, I think, so cool for curling. And and this is as a complete neophyte when it comes to curling for the most part. I mean, I know how the sport is played. I know the rules somewhat. I know what the, ob- you know, the, the object of the game is. Um, so I can identify those kind of things. But the community seems like it's very, very connected, uh, just overall. And it doesn't even matter necessarily what level you're playing at. I mean, if, if you, 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 know, you can be the top of the, of, the, of the game like John, or you can be you know, the, the guy or the kid coming up, it's all a community that supports each other no matter what. And that's sort of the point of it, right? Like that's is, is to keep that kind of love of the sport and just say, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, it's still curling. You yeah. know, and it doesn't matter, you know, how high we're all doing it. And that's the cool part about it. And it's I'm a little unique. There's I mean, you know, three of the guys on my team play in league. Colin plays in a competitive league, but like Chris doesn't. He plays in league sporadically. Okay. Um, so it's not necessarily They're always there, yeah. But similar. I mean, but for me, that's that was the part of the sport where you know, I grew up playing in, you know, League in Chisholm and in Hibbing, and and that was such a part of the game that, like, drew me to it was, and because I'm also a people person, like, that that connection within a community is something that's always been important. When did it hit you? Like, obviously, you win the gold in 2018, and what was that moment where you just kind of stepped back and went, this is nuts? That this, I you know, is it when you're suddenly at the ESPYs or <laughs> late night TV or what was that moment that you just went, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a kid from Chisholm, Minnesota. This is crazy. Um, I mean, or didn't it happen? It was so slow moving. I mean, I was on, I was on the Jay Leno show in 2009. Like I was a couch guest on that thing, which was story <laughs> in itself. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I didn't even, I, I'd went to a olympics as a lead got a bronze medal we you know won the olympic trials kind of like a little bit we were like the sixth seed coming out on 10 teams and won the olympic trials like it was kind of an upset and uh and i was you know sitting on the couch at leno and for me it's like for that i i don't know that was seemed like it was gonna be fun like uh but yeah after after winning gold i think you know it's interesting like you know that we shook hands we got the gold medal before we ever you know were on the podium and our team got together and and just like looked around like for me it was more like wow this is what this is what this is all right like this is what i've pretty much devoted my entire you know sporting life to my career to um was to this like that was and then all the stuff that came around after i don't think we we just you know laugh about it, it became you know so like it was we had 6 months of where it was just things that i was for me, I'd hope to go to an NHL outdoor game, and there I was throwing a curling rock with a puck on it for them to drop it. <laughs> like, I remember. I was that. like, I mean, that's crazy. Like, that's insane. And like, we were walking around that, and it was right after the Olympics, and we were wearing our USA gear, and we were walking, and people recognized us as we were going because a we were wearing our USA stuff, but they're like, oh, that was we had just you know been on, we were just on Fallon, you know, we and here we were, and as the people were coming in, we were walking through the thing, and like, oh my gosh, it's Steve Schuster, and someone's like. They're like the Beatles. So, and it felt like it because we were getting mobbed and we had security people pushing them away. And like, that was the one time in my life where I felt like a A-list celebrity was at that game walking through like um, the concourse before we went down there. And then we were, and then when we were out there, just like the USA chant. And it was like, that was the most celebrity I think I've ever felt. I mean, the SBs, yeah, when you're in there, kind of felt like a celebrity. We were all dressed up. We were all together. But 
we walked the red carpet and Matt got talked to by one person. We didn't get talked to by anybody. So like, that was a little bit like, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah along, you're here along. and we're glad to have you, but like we, LeBron's over there. So keep let's, going. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. not even LeBron. That's the thing is like, we were getting overlooked for people much lower down the list than LeBron, <laughs> man. <laughs> How, where did the Mr. T thing come from? He just, if started, that doesn't make you feel a list, I, you know, makes I, me feel a team, a team list. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, do I have a Mr. T sounder in my pocket? I was just emptying out my truck and I think I might have, no, I don't. Um, he just got in like during the Olympics, was, like was watching curling and was, you know, curling is cool fool. Like, <laughs> and he was putting stuff out on social media. So our social media person just, or our USA curling media person was like, all right, let's, you know, see if we can connect with it. And all of a sudden it's a back and forth. And there we were before the gold medal game, getting a pep talk in the locker room via, you know, via the phone from Mr. T. See that that would be awesome. Yeah, we got a pregame pep talk from Mr. T. That would be tremendous. That's the, and it was everything you'd want it to be. Like yeah, I, I and then some. I bet. Oh, yeah. I I would I'd, I'd yeah. pay money for that. But he's an yeah. American. Like he's a. I mean, that's the thing. Like his mo is he's a he's an America guy. So it was yep. like even. So it was fun, and then we got to meet him uh, in D.C. a couple months later, and and it was fun. Like I just saw him because he was actually out going for a run at the i mean he's like 80 he's run make going for a run at the hotel we were staying at prior to the best u.s award show or something like that and met him in the street and and yeah it was and he was fun and then we had a zoom call with him before we went to the last Olympics, so he's still in that's awesome that is really cool that's those are those things that you do kind of sit your like you know, you, you sit there and you go is this like real life or something like, like is this really happening right now right because like i can totally kind of relate to how you know that that would feel just because I, I, whenever I see like, it's it's weird because I sit there and, uh, you know, knowing knowing John and watching him in the last Olympics in twenty two, this last one, and uh, you know, watching him with his teammates and you know it, it, this is going worldwide now, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, God, I wonder what's going through Schuster's mind now, and I could actually ask him that next time I see him. That's almost the <laughs> almost the weirder part, you know, is like, just the fact that like you look at it and you say, okay, um. You know, I know that person, or I've worked with that person and stuff. I had it in Grandma's Marathon because I've worked with a couple of different uh, Olympians as well there, right? Uh, calling races and stuff, and it's like because I've gotten questions from my family asking me what's it like to work with an Olympian or talk to an Olympian or all that kind of stuff. It's like no different from talking to anybody else. <laughs> you know, it's they just, just happen to be an expert in a field that happens to go to the Olympics. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. That's not... kind of the way you know because I worked with Carrie Tolson. I don't know how many times, right? And she was an Olympian in two thousand four. You know, and you, had, uh, you had Carrie Goucher with I you had too. Carrie Goucher, yeah, yeah, one time as well. So. Um, gosh, you, were you, were you there to like help launch her broadcasting career uh, at the beginning of that for her? She was yeah. she's like legit, she, legit now. Like, yeah. She's so good. Man. Yeah. She's really good. She's, uh, she's come right up there. I mean, I know Kara's sister really well, Kelly. So, you know, cause I, I see Kelly a lot and I work with her a lot cause she works in the athletic department at UMD and also as the assistant coach on the soccer team. So I've gotten to know Kelly really well. So it's almost like a, I don't want to say it's a family thing, but it's more right. of a kind of a thing where like. You know, you get to, you know, it, it, it becomes less and less, I guess, unique mm-hmm. the longer it goes for me. Just because, sure. like, my first ever interview with Olympian was in, I want to say 2000 and, I think it was 2002 or 2003. I want to say, I was actually, I was on the phone with an Olympic gymnast from Athens. And so it would have been 2004. Uh, because these these twin these identical twin brothers uh, had to qualify for the Olympic men's uh, um, 
the gymnastics team from Washburn, Wisconsin. They were born in Washburn and they were raised there. That's right. Yeah. Yep. The, the, the twin brothers. And I was talking with their dad and that was a weird one because I was writing an article for the Ashland Daily Press mm-hmm. on that whole thing. And uh, <laughs> it was weird because I was talking to the dad and then I talked to them a little bit. Are you having a brain fart on what their names are? I am. He is. I the am. Ham brothers? Yeah. No. Is that what they were? No? No. Uh, I am too. And I, I can see them. I can see them. See, that's the thing in my head. I, oh, God, I'm trying to remember who they were. Hope nobody no, watched You keep scratching your head. I'll Google it. Okay. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I talked to the dad and he was. You might be right. I think it is. I God, think I am I right. Think I, yeah. you, you just told me no, but now you're agreeing with me? Come on. I don't yeah. know. I'm trying, to fig- I'm trying to remember. It's so long ago now. My brain has got holes in it, John. That's the thing. Um. But I was talking to him, and the dad comes on, and he says, well, you know, we got to cut this short because the New York Times is waiting on the other line. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll cut this short. But uh, that was my first ever experience. Yeah, it was the hams. Yeah. See? I had you. There you go. <laughs> See? John knows more Olympic history than I do. He does. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of – Yeah. But I'm but supposed to. You're supposed to, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, – but that was, that was a weird one because, like, th- just to give you an idea, I was on the phone, and I'm interviewing them. And I'm not kidding you, the entire newsroom was watching me right. on the phone with them. And it, it was almost surreal for me to conduct the interview. Because I'm sitting there and I have my sports editors on my right side. He's looking at me. I got another guy, you know, another like another sports writer to my left. He's looking at me. And I've got like three or four other Just boring writers. holes in you from, yeah, all, that are from like, all, all angles. Yeah, like Don't they're blow like, this, man. Like their laser eyes are burning through yeah. my head. And I'm I'm I I'm at this point I'm not even just trying to get the you know the stuff for the story. Now I'm thinking, don't say the wrong thing. Right. Everybody in the newsroom is going to give you a great, <laughs> you know. But, but as time goes on, that starts to kind of wear off a little bit. Going back to Kara, though, she was she was pregnant, and that's why she wasn't competing in Grandma's that that year, and that was the first race that she had ever done yeah. as a commentator of yeah, any I kind. To, I was so, trying to give him, some yeah, chan- he would have like, had hey, it. Hey, I helped launch her career. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he well, totally, you're just so totally, totally couldn't well, take it. I actually, I actually, um, that was Didn't weird because, um. I actually covered her race too when she ran here. That was the, the 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 one race that she won when she was here when it was the national championship. Yeah, and I had that was a weird one because I had Kara was running the race. Carrie Tolfson was sitting next to me, so I was covering an Olympian with an Olympian. So that was you know, and Kara and Carrie are very tight. Yeah. So that was a weird one because it's like I didn't even really necessarily feel like I was broadcasting a sports event. It was more like a friend watching a friend run. And I just happened to be along for the ride. Yep. You know, that was, so you, it was, it was a weird one, you know, and that's very cool, you know? Um, so when you get those kind of experiences though, yeah. that's when you go, wow, this is really something. And I wish I would have kind of like noted it a little bit more. Right. Cause Kara won that race going away. Like it was. Yeah. I was on finish line duty for that yeah, one. And and she, yeah. You were, at the, you were one of the hosts. Yeah. yeah. And it, and, was, and it wasn't even close. Was, she, yeah, she just cruised right through that thing and it just was, but so it really became more of an ode to Kara Goucher <laughs> as we went along. Than anything else, and I've had a few races like that. But um, every time I get a chance to to interact though that way, it's pretty cool. And um, uh, you know, when you sit back and look at it that, because I, I'm not somebody who tends to pump my own tires. I mean, you you we tried to let you. Yeah, pump your you tires tried, and you didn't take it. I, I I'm not one of those guys. I, I just I do it for the experience of doing it and be able to look back and say that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, that's why I do it. I don't usually go around. I you know, one of the things that. I used to get in trouble, or not necessarily in trouble, but I, uh, my, under my sports writing career, I had people ask me why I didn't submit more stuff for potential awards in the state of Wisconsin, for small dailies and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't care about that kind of stuff. I just want to do it. And my, my work speaks for itself. If people like it, then mm-hmm. that's great. But you know, I, I don't necessarily – I do it because I really enjoy it, and that's why I want to keep it. 
<laughs> you know, right. nothing wrong with, with, with doing that, but that's just not me. You know, that's just not my approach to doing it. Where does the soccer passion come from? Uh, <coughs> as we switch gears I, now. I, yeah, exactly. I kinda, we stumbled into that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, I had a gal who, uh, is a friend of mine, um, that wasn't, I, I ended up doing something for the 10 year anniversary of the heritage center being built. They asked, you know, myself and a couple of teammates, and I think I was the only one able to do it, to be at their like gala mm-hmm. to celebrate the 10 years of heritage center. And so, um, I, a curler at our club was on the board at the heritage center and this gal was also on the board. And, um, so we talked a bunch and whatever and said, Hey, you know, whatever, started being friends on Facebook and, and she put a post out there that they're looking for host families that they're a little bit short. Cause I think 2019 we had like, there's like 23 players that needed housing. So it was a big number of people coming in, of, you know, people coming in. And so I, my wife had had foreign exchange. And this is Duluth FC, family. Right? Yeah, Duluth FC. Okay. Yep. So, um, and she had hosted Duluth FC players and I didn't even know that we had a professional team at that point. And I know that there's a lot of people that don't know that we have that right now. Um, and so I take a screenshot of it, send it my, looks like we're hosting soccer players. Ha ha ha. Um, and so uh, <laughs> little did he know, yeah, little did so there know. we are then, but you know what? The cool thing is my kids had at that point had just maybe Luke had played one year of YMCA soccer. Logan was just getting old enough to play YMCA soccer. I mean, he was only, you know, not even four at the time. Um, and before you know it, we had two and then neither one of them had a car, had a driver's license. We had a car from use. Eh, we might not even had a car from use at the time, but, um, we needed a player with a car. So like, well, can you take a third that has a car? Yeah. So we ended up with three Duluth FC players living in our basement and, uh, very important players on the team. They're guys that put in big minutes. So it's, it seems like every year they've put in guys that our team at our, that live with us that play big minutes. Um, but yeah. And, and so, and these guys were, you know, one from Israel, one from England, one from, the Netherlands and and these guys you know at the beginning kind of did their thing but you know as as it goes they end up kind of being part of our family and kicking the soccer ball around in the side yard with our kids and we go to the games and we're like holy cow this is like this is different than watching I mean is as great as going and watching collegiate soccer here like it's it's different it's a different yep. level yep. I, as as great of a team as we have here at UWS like it's I mean we have and we had obviously Perry that came in and was a huge player for us this last right. year. It's not like this isn't, but it's just different. Yeah, and I don't even know how to explain it other than it just looks more like, you know, you go to an MLS game and it's not. There's not a huge to the eye test. It's professional soccer, and uh, and so we started going to more and more games. And then one of the same players came back, lived with us, lot, you know, two years ago. We took one year off because of COVID, and then 2021, um, same deal kicking the ball around in the side yard with the kids and my kids totally got into soccer and before you know it we're playing travel soccer with both of our kids sure and, um and being more and more involved with with Duluth FC is Tim Sauce the founder and former owner was you know even brought me along as like it's great to have somebody that's so involved in sports outside of soccer as yourself and I just want to be able to use you as a sounding board so I was kind of you know somebody who I'd talk with him you know not almost every other month kind of thing. And during the season, maybe a little bit more. And, um, and yeah, and then, you know, we're so huge fans of, of UWS soccer here being close friends with the Moonies. And, and that's kind of, we kind of stumbled into the, the soccer thing, but, um, realizing, you know, where it's going and seeing for us, I mean, my wife and I saw, we see all the kids that are playing YMCA soccer. And then you see all of a sudden there's a lot less kids playing fall AYSA soccer in Superior and like, okay, well, how are we missing bridging this gap? And this is like, we were talking with Chisholm is mm-hmm. like, how do you keep <clears throat> this wheel turning 
And so we even got together with a couple other parents, including including Joe Mooney and um, another gal who had a daughter that was, you know, wanted to play more soccer and maybe play summer. And we went and played Gitchy Gumi in Duluth. But not everybody has the ability to drive kids over the bridge and back, and it's a pretty big financial commitment. Is, and so yeah. we actually started the Superior FC summer travel team that we have nine and ten year old this year. And we're gonna build that every year. We're gonna build have another nine year old team. Now we're gonna move up to U twelve on both boys and girls. And then we're gonna move to U fourteen and kind of have and try to build that summer, you know, travel team, which three of the tournaments are local. So there's only one where you really have to leave town. And uh and and yeah, because you know, you see the number of kids that are out playing soccer and I after watching it you realize the exercise that kids are getting and like even you know, my kids are getting the highest marks on the pacer test of anybody in their grades in school. And it's not Sarah and I were athletes, but I wasn't a huge runner, but my kids have this endurance and from swimming and soccer is just incredible. Like yep. the physical fitness that it brings to the table compared to most other sports. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm, I didn't know this about you. I'm, I'm so impressed with the desire to grow the game, no matter what it is. Like you, you it's, it's really ingrained in you isn't it that you, you, you have, I'm I'm, I'm being totally sincere about that. It's, but that's the one, that's the one unique part about myself, even compared to other curlers that are similar level to me from age, my teammates, like they all have, you know, other jobs that are either full-time or, or very close to full-time jobs. And I, I feel like a lot of that for me is like, I have a, a plethora of time when I'm not like training and and free time and ability and I do like I loved growing up and having that support from my family you know I my parents still have hardly missed a game of curling that I've played at a major level um that's awesome and and seeing that and having that support I know that I'm in a unique place where I've been but so being able to offer that both for my kids and for other you know people in the community so it's I I do love and I also know how great of a community that we grew up in and how I mean, again, I remember watching you. I was a basketball player. I'd never played hockey. My sister never played hockey, but we went when there was a hockey game that was at home and we weren't traveling for basketball or if it happened to be on a night where the basketball team was off, like we were at the hockey game, like cheering you guys on, like watching hockey. And I remember I've just loved sports, mm-hmm. yeah. period. I love competition yeah. and I know how healthy it can be in the right setting and to embrace that no matter what it is. And, you know, it's what we do. Like my wife was a diver in high school. She's coaching a a few divers like trying to be able to dive on the high school team next year from Duluth, like on, you know, Mondays this year, like it's both of us just absolutely know how important sports was for our development more than just athletically. And to be able to like be in a position to support that. I just, I just love doing it. How much longer do you go? Have you, I mean, you, you talk about that every year you have that conversation question. with your wife and everything. <laughs> how much longer do you go? So my, I was going <laughs> to retire when, when curling no longer helped my kids you know, like when my, we'll say dream or, you know, was, would get in the way of, of me not supporting my kids a hundred percent on going for their dreams. Like that'll be when I walk away. But, uh, what we kind of realize now that our kids are getting older and understand this stuff is that my kids think they can do absolutely anything because their dad is, you know, won an Olympic gold and going to the Olympics and winning national championships and watching me do this stuff. Like they legitimately believe. And now not only they believe and their friends believe in their other thing. And, you know, I can ba- we can balance the travel, and I have that support system where when I leave, my mom comes and fills my role of, you know, picking kids up and bringing them when Sarah's, like, when her, you know, because she's a full-time pharmacist, and 
like the hours like she can't usually she could drop kids off to school on a day she works or pick them up but can't do both like right um but having that community support and i think i mean i'm i'm for sure going through this next olympics in italy and it'd be kind of fun to start and end but i mean if the u.s wins the hosting bid you know the next one after that and i'm still at the level i'm at now it'd be hard to think that i could walk away but my kids are getting like luke my nine-year-old is like getting pretty good already and so if you looked at it like seven years, you know, eight years down the road, the next Olympics, he'd be 17. Who knows? Maybe we go a little father-son trip to the Olympics. Like, it's not unprecedented. It's happened with a superior team already. Like, Tim Tim and Bud Somerville went to the Olympics, father and son, along with um, along with their teammates as well. So um, it, it's been done before when it wasn't a full medal sport. And who knows? Maybe we could do it again. That I think that's so incredible. cool. Well, I, I think it's so cool that you still have the passion for it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, because – you see a lot of athletes when they get up to that level of of success, you know, where it, it kind of becomes more of a job than an enjoyment. And that's that's the thing is I'm yeah. not in it for the money, man. If I was yeah. in it for the money, I'd retire a long time ago. Right. You know, and, it, and for some of those guys, it almost becomes like an addiction, right? It almost becomes like they can't give it up because it's so much a part of what they are. Well, I think my wife may may agree with you that maybe that's what's going on with me. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, but the fact that your kids are are, are so inspired by what you do, though, and the fact that you're doing it also to kind of continue to show them kind of the way, I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm able to use that as a platform. That's part of like yeah. the Duluth FC thing. Like, you know, we've had now players, and I've said, okay, we've had big minute players, but you know, Lucas Jacobs is, you know, playing almost. He's close to getting into like playing next level. And you know, we had Caleb Tammy who came here and he was in a really yep. flux flux part of his career. He didn't get along with his coach back at his thing, and you know, and I had very big, real, long conversations with these athletes about, you know, what they're doing and why they're doing it. Like, I mean, Caleb said to me, I said, you know, how cool is it you get to play a game you love and like do some traveling like that? He's like, it's like, I only play soccer because I'm good at it. I don't even really like it that much. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. He was being serious. And I was like, here's the thing, man. Like you have a talent, you have a skill right. set, like figure out what that is. And you know, like you have to enjoy this at some point. Yeah. And during that summer, he, I think the, like the group we have in here with our Duluth FC players, like the enjoyment and you see it. I know you see it because yep. everybody sees it. Yep. Like these guys have this love for the game. And I think he developed that love for the game. And I think we talked enough about like, you know, sometimes you just have, you actually have to make, um, you have to make a good faith effort to even show somebody like, like a coach, maybe that you don't see eye to eye with or whatever. Right. You feel like they've been, you know, unfair to you. And I was talking to this, this Marshall kids yesterday, like, you, if you really want to do something, and and Caleb had an unreal year. Yeah, he and was, then he said, he said, I'm not going to be back in Duluth. I love you guys. I love it here. I'm gonna. And he sent five players from Christian Brothers here last year. He's yeah. Like, if you yeah. want to have a great summer, go up there, play for Duluth FC if you can. Like, see if you can get the Schusters to be your host because it was like the best summer of my life. And he had an incredible senior season this last year. And like, I think he's looking at still com- continue to play soccer and. You know, he had this great relationship then with his coach and his coaching staff and the people, and it made a – and so we're able, like, I see that my history in sports and my background can even make a difference with, right. you know, those people. And, and Westy was with us twice. Like, he's now a, a coach at an NAIA school. Like, yep. he wanted to be a soccer coach, and it's what he's, you know, got himself into doing. And, like, being able to help guide even young men to get all they can get out of what their – like, what their sport brings them, because I think I've gotten all I can get. Well, well, I mean, I'm still trying to get more, but <laughs> well, I remember because uh, because uh, um, you know Joe is my color commentator, and I do the play-by-play for the games during the year and uh, for Duluth FC. 
And well, I've gone out there multiple times and I've said, how cool is it that Duluth FC has this opportunity where they can bring in these kids from all over the country, all over the world, really, a lot of them. And they can say, yeah, I, you know what I did? I spent the, you know, the summer staying with an Olympic gold medalist as, as my host family. And then I played soccer, <laughs> you know, during right. the summer as well, you know, and we had a good squad, you know, because Duluth FC always has a good team. So it's, it's just such a unique opportunity. And so when John became involved with Duluth FC, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is so cool. Like, there's got to be a way we can capitalize on this. And I, I think it's, it's, it's been huge, you know, just have, having John be involved with, with Duluth FC. And I say that having been the only play-by-play voice they've ever had. But, um, you know, to see the kids and the guys that come in and the joy they do get out of it. You know, I, I, you know Caleb is a good example because really, really talented player. Really talented. And, you know, when you hear things like, you know, I'm just really good at it, that's why I play it. But I don't really enjoy it. It's like, well, you got to, like you said, you, you got to have something. It's heartbreaking in a way. Yeah, in a way. It was. Yeah, I, it really is. I was, I was, I, I mean, it shook me. Like, I wasn't ready to hear that. I was just ready to, like, have this rah-rah conversation about being able to do something love happens to be a sport and you get to play with a bunch of buddies. It's like, I only do it because I'm good at it and it's provided me some opportunities. Right. Like, yeah. well, what do you want to do then? He didn't know. Yeah. Like, in school and whatever and career, like, he was just flying by the seat of his pants. Kind of and directionless, just, yeah. And and I think that, I think Westy having such clear vision living with us at the same time. And Caleb and Westy kicked the ball in the side yard with my kids way more than any other year. And granted, all the players have done a, have done a great job with that, like being great right. like players yeah. living in our household, becoming members of our family. But that year was different. And seeing that transition of, I think him seeing the you know the joy that Westy had in the game and the joy that my kids had in the game and how much fun it was trying to play keep away from my kids and like he developed I even think like Sarah and I and the kids out there kicking the ball around the side yard and him being a little cocky with the with his ball skills I think made a difference in his ball skills like the side yard stuff we were doing right yeah because he was a he was a always ran, went to the right position guy had this boost that he could run he he didn't have crazy ball skills but and that's where I was telling him like. The, what is what do you think your skill set is? Yeah, he didn't necessarily know, and I think, I think Sean and the coaching staff did a great job of being like. I mean, he had four, three or four assists that season off of corner kicks because he was our left footed, yeah, you know, in swing and corner kick taker. And I'm like, really dude, like this foot. is your, like yeah. this is one of your skills, absolute skills. I've never seen like we. I mean, if you score off that set piece six times in a season, great. He had four of our. Yeah. You know, and we might not have scored more than four, but he had four assists off of corner kicks yeah. that were put into the perfect place. Caleb could put a ball on a dime. Which he, is yeah. crazy because out on the field, you didn't necessarily see it, but out of the corner, when he had that, if he had a still ball at his feet, he just put it. In he a was ball. a really good free kick taker. Really, really good. I mean, and Westy, the, the player he's talking about, a guy named James, West, James Westfield, who uh, is from England, um, and he was a, an all-region player for an NAIA school when he, when he played there. And... Uh, the thing that Westy was a great example too of of sort of you know where Duluth FC wants to go, because he was a guy that actually played out his college career. He had some injuries late in his career, which kind of hurt him a little bit in mm-hmm. terms of like his professional prospects. Um, and then he took a full year where he didn't play at all, and he still came back and played for Duluth FC the next year, where he hadn't played in a while, and he came back after year after he had graduated to play for for Duluth FC. And that's where a guy like that is important for a guy like Caleb because it keeps him in that. Because Westy did it because he loves it. That's yeah. why Westy did it. He didn't do it because, you know, that he was looking for the next step necessarily. He was doing it because he loved the sport. And, you know, Westy didn't score a ton of goals, but he worked so hard on the field. And, that, that, you know, just because he loved being out there. 
And that was what he was known for. Yeah, and that's the joy. And, and, you know, you look at, I mean, I don't think I'm, I don't know. I mean, you look at somebody like Jake Starling who's played, how many how many seasons he play with us? This was four his or five? fourth, third yeah, or fourth. I mean, yeah. And I think he's he's done with college, and I, I as far as I hear. He's I in grad he's, school now. And I believe he's coming back for another one. Yeah, he might like, be coming back I mean, that's, one. but, you know, and, and I wanted to get, you know, so I've been talking to him, like, okay, well, you know, when, when, when we actually try to do like a little media push, I'm like, can I get you on the phone with some people that tell you why you want to keep coming back here? Right. You know, I think a lot of the guys, and I think everybody who played the year last year, almost like they felt like they had unfinished business. Well, and Brendan Daly said the same also, thing. Yeah. They Daly feel like told they have me. this unfinished business from last yep. year, like getting so close yeah. and having something so special. But even having that out there, like it's become known in the country. We're like almost a destination team to go play for in the summer because of the culture that has been set by all those players. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, we've, we've kind of gotten to that point. I mean, I had a lot of players last year that came up to me and said, I came here because of what was, what, what people told me that it had been here and, and had come to Duluth Superior and had the experience. And, and, and Sean is a, is a, our head coach is a, a diamond in the rough. He is, he is so different as a coach than he was as a player. Um, when he played for Saints Glasgow, I thought, God, what a, what a hothead because he, he was a car to guy. He was a car to game guy. You know, Sean Morgan was a guy when he played, he really skilled, played really hard, but was also very testy mm-hmm. when he was on the field as a coach. He's as mellow as it gets. Like he doesn't, but, but even to, to coach the style, knowing that, you know, he's, I mean, he's kind of a, he's a adjunct. I'd call him like, you know, moonlighting college coach with Scholastica, like on their coaching staff. Yep, yep. He's but then for him to come and do what he does in the summer in the style of play, like, I mean, that's one of those things where it just, it actually makes me knowing what we're trying to do in the soccer community here and, and knowing what, you know, we're trying to do with Duluth FC going forward is like, okay, how do we get that coaching, coaching that skill set? How do we get that down further into our community rather right. than just doing it for the guys who are playing in the summer and, you know, hopefully, like, yeah, we've had a few local guys that have contributed in the last few years, but okay, how can we get that now skill set that he's coaching down into our youth a little bit? Right. And and that's part of, you know, like our superior summer team we're gonna have, you know, the travel team is is getting those FC players to come and doing that coaching and to have, you know, to pick their brains and even Joe, same deal. Like right. getting that bed of knowledge that we have available to us right. in our communities and really getting that into our lower level. So, you know, 10 years from now that our team is half filled out by local players because we have the athletic ability up here. You right. see it year in, year out by, you know, having, you know, teams are, you know, hockey players. I mean, you look at the Winnipeg Jets, there's five local guys, like Duluth guys playing in the mm-hmm. NHL. Like we have right. the athletic capability up here and to, to get that and bring it down as far as we, is to the lowest level. We, I mean, it's like the Chisholm thing. Like everyone's like, man, you guys have talented basketball players. Like, no, we have the ability to build from the beginning right. and just produce year after year after year. It looks like we never have a down year because it's just, and getting that into our communities like via soccer. And we have a great opportunity because we have such great programs around here. Now, Even though Chisholm got beat by like, 34 <laughs> points last night by Mountain Iron Beals, so. Well, I was like, mm. But I mean, uh, you know, John's right though. I mean, we had four Yellow Jackets on the yep. roster last year for Duluth FC, which is the most we've ever had, and it was one of our best years ever in terms of on field. Uh, how close the guys came. I mean, uh, made it to the Midwest Region semifinal round, uh, you know, and I think we won more games and scored more goals than we ever have in a season. So it was one of those 
really, really neat years. And it was really cool because there was also a Sklaska player in there as well, Keegan Chasty, who also was part of that team. So you basically had five guys that were, you know, local, literally local players that play their college soccer in the in the Twin Ports. And two of them that grew up here. Yeah, and two yeah. of them that grew up yeah. here. So it was very, it was very cool. Um, you know, and like John says, hopefully that'll be sort of something that we can continue in the future, you know, with both getting, uh, not just, uh, St. Classical players, but more UWS players as well that are able to play at that level and, and contribute at that level as well. Cause Blake Perry was our leading scorer last year at Duluth FC as well. No surprise. Right. He's leading scorer everywhere he goes. It feels like, but yeah, that I was, mean, that was actually fun. Cause I had <laughs> even the guys and this is uh this is an interesting side note and I'd but the guys that lived in my house, I was asking, you know, after the first week of practice, like, yeah, how's it going? Hey, we got some talented guys. And I was like, you know, got any of these, you know, local players that are filling at the beginning of the year, like training with you. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure that we're gonna, any of them are going to be really contributing. And this is, you know, talking to one of my guys in my house didn't end up contributing much the whole year anyways. But um, like, yeah, whatever. And then we go play the first game and Perry's got two goals and <laughs> one assist or three assists or something. Yep. And uh and after the game, I'm like, like, so you didn't think he could hang, huh? They're like, yeah, I I guess I didn't realize. Well, that's the thing is some skill sets, and that's where I find in curling too, like there's some skill sets that you get them, and it doesn't matter what his context is. Like he plays with whatever skill set. And he and I noticed from watching this whole year and going to a bunch of UWS games, like what he does for Duluth FC and what he does for UWS are completely different oh, yeah, things. Absolutely. But toward the end of the season, what he did for the FC – when when Joe had the people come together at toward the end of the season was a lot closer than at the beginning of the season when he was doing at UWS. Right. Yeah. And so that's where like he's one of those guys like right play, right right place, right time, and you get him. No, there's not a there's almost not a defender in in the nation at any level that if you give Perry a chance to beat him one on one, whether it be to deliver a ball into the back of the net or to deliver a ball to a a teammate making a run, like that he's not gonna beat. Yeah. And he did it time and time and time again, just like he did at UWS. He did it at that next level as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just a gifted player. And I know I saw your tweet, John, talking about Blake because it was like he's one of the, he's maybe the only player in UWS soccer history where I was on the edge of my seat every time he got the ball at his feet just to see what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, he was electric. Yeah. Yeah. He was electric. And electric I, playmaker. I've never yeah. seen anybody in the years I've been doing this who, just created so much time and space for himself yeah, and made everybody else look silly at the same time. I mean, every single time he had the ball, something was going to happen. Yeah. Yep. And it was, it was a, a blast watching him. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's where I'll, that's, that's where I think I'd even kind of go back to Like if you give me somebody that has that tenacity to, and that amount of compete in them, I'd take that over the most talented player on earth almost every single time. Yeah. Kind of, it goes back to you can go all the way back to Herb Brooks with that. I'm not looking for the best players; I'm looking for the right ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really, you that know. really kind of encapsulates it. I think. I, I know you're busy, and we. I told you, you know, 30, 35 minutes, and it's been almost an hour. So I, I want to be. I talk to you guys all day. I want to be. You don't have that on your podcast. Either, <laughs> I want to so. be mindful of your time. So, John, I appreciate you doing this and uh, taking time out of your schedule and coming by to to talk. You know. Few different things with us. Few different things, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. You know, yeah. we'll drop in more demolition man next time too. <laughs> if you guys only knew what we were talking about prior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We say that almost every oh, single time. So kills. Olympic gold medalist John Schuster, thanks for coming by. <laughs> thanks for having me. Guys. We're gonna take a break. We'll come back with more of I of the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. 
Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. Final right. segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm. And uh, fun to go off, you know, uh, away from UWS sometimes, Matt. And uh, that was a fun segment. It was. Uh, I've gotten it's not no, every day you get an Olympic gold medalist. To no, out. no. And I've gotten to know John very well uh, the last probably, you know, three or four years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, when he started his interest in Duluth FC. He's always been, I think, a UWS men's soccer supporter. Right. Uh, he's been very close friends with the Mooney family. Yep. I mean, he and Sarah and their kids both. So um, not surprising there. Uh, it was really good to get him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, it's a first for us. Yeah. You know, on no, this, absolutely. You know, I mean, you and I both know him. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that we've actually had him in a, you know, in a, in a setting like this one. Right. Um, and it's just... It's good to know that people like him are in the community. Yeah. Because I, it goes beyond, it, you know, him being a UWS sports fan. It, it, it goes, goes into, beyond, beyond yeah. him being a curler. I mean, the, yeah. just the, how, how much time we spent talking about how he, how many times he brought up bringing the community together and creating opportunities to grow things for the community and for the youth of the community. I mean, it, it's, those people don't come around every day. No, no. They it, really don't. And so to have somebody who, who has the platform that he does and has the reach that he does is such a good thing for Superior. Well, he has the energy and the passion for it, yes. too. You can't do that kind of thing and not be fully committed to it. Mm-hmm. And John is. Yeah. I mean, I, John is a guy who is fully committed to everything that he does in life. Yes. You know, he's committed to being a, a good a good husband. He's committed to being a good father. He's committed to being a world-class curler. And he's also committed to, you know, growing now this new venture that he has with the soccer thing, growing it into the community. You know, because, man, when he decides to do something, he's all in on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's all in on all of that. And it's really that the more people you have like that in the community that care about the community and want to build it and and love the community as it is and and see the, the real potential in it. That's what you need. Yep. You know, and that that's that's what makes places like Superior and like Duluth and like the Twin Ports for that matter special. Yep. It's having those kind of people that do have that kind of local passion and, and, and want to continue to build the community rather than just kind of sit here and live in the community. Mm-hmm. If that if that makes any sense. So speaking of community, let's uh let's dive in a little bit here in our yellow jacket community. Uh what's on tap for this week? Uh, a lot of road games this week. Uh, just about everybody's on the road. The only team that is not uh, on the road completely this week is women's hockey. Everybody else is away. Um, so th- a lot of these games will be uh, online if you're looking for you know some entertainment or some games to watch uh, this coming weekend. Uh, check out the streaming links uh, on the Athletics web page because, like I said, just about everybody's on the road this week, so uh, a lot of road games. Um, men's and women's basketball will both be on the road this week. Uh, first at Crown for a couple of games. Uh, the men will lead off at 5.30 p.m., the women at 7.15 and then the following day, they'll both be at Minnesota Morris, 3 p.m. for the men, 4.45 for the women. And again, those will be uh, available on stream. Uh, so if you want to watch those games, you can go in online. They'll be at home the following weekend, but this weekend they're both away. So four games away for them. Uh, the heavy load of games this week uh, actually uh, goes to men's hockey, but we'll talk more about that in a second. Women's hockey, meanwhile, uh, has a home-and-home with UW-Eau Claire. This weekend, uh, they are on the road on Friday. So if you're looking for more hockey, you can also go for the links for that. Uh, January 13th against UW Eau Claire, who's a top 10 team, by the way. Yes, so that'll a, be that's a tough opponent. Yeah, that's a tough opponent. 7 p.m. the opening faceoff down in Hobbs Ice Arena in Eau Claire, and then they'll be back home on Saturday, January 14th at Westman Arena for a 7 p.m. game again. So that's a seven and seven 
but it's a home and home, which is typically how it works on the women's side in the in the WIAC. Right. Sometimes with the men, but a, a lot of times with the women. So. Yep. And then men's hockey, uh, they have three games on tap this week. Do they? Do I look at that right? No wait. No. I'm looking at that. No, the men Just have two. two. Men's basketball has that extra game on Tuesday, January 17th. Yes. So that's the team that has the extra game uh, at Finlandia. That's a 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. That's, that's a, a rescheduling yeah, yeah. of a game that was actually supposed to be played earlier. There were some issues with with uh, illness on the Finlandia team, which ended up having that game po- be postponed. So Correct. the men are on the road for three straight before they come home. The women at home on the road for two on the basketball side. And then men's hockey, they also have two road games on Friday and Saturday. So everybody's playing on Friday and Saturday. Uh, in different locations. The men on Friday at Gustavus Adolphus, second time they get to see the Gusties, maybe get a little bit of a... I have a hunch they're going to have a little bit of revenge on their minds. Yeah, yeah, that'll be an 8 p.m. opening face-off, 7.30 the pregame on 91.3 FM with the gentleman sitting across from me, that being Mr. Garber. And then on Saturday, they are Tria Rink down in St. Paul taking on uh, Hamlin. That'll be 5 p.m. the opening face-off there, 4.30 the pregame Correct. on 91.3 FM. So that's what's coming up. More information on our full broadcast schedule, as always, you can go to uwsyellowjackets.com, go to the Fan Zone, and check out the Broadcast Central page. That's where all of our broadcasts are located uh, as when and where Mr. Garber and I will be for uh, broadcasts. I have the weekend off in that regard. So, Woo-hoo. yeah, yay me, right? You don't get a lot of those during the year. So <laughs> I don't. I it, don't. Relish the opportunity. Right, yeah, exactly. So no UWS for me, but uh, John's got two games coming up this week, so you can check him out. And uh, everybody on the road, yep. <laughs> except for women's hockey on uh, – on Saturday. So, yeah, a lot of road games coming up. Uh, hopefully some good stuff. And then, of course, men's and women's indoor track and field in a couple of weeks. We'll join the fray Them as well. Them in a couple so, weeks. Uh, yeah. Tennis in a couple of weeks. So, yep. you know, it just keeps, just rolling keeps over. on rolling. Yep, keeps just rolling keeps over. keeps on rolling. And, it, again, it, in February it really picks up and gets heavy. And then it just comes to a screeching halt for a month. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and then uh, we wait for baseball and softball. Then we wait to, for the snow to melt. By the way, those schedules have been released. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to check out uh, who uh, – the baseball and softball teams will be playing and where you can check it out on the athletics website as well. Those were just released, I think this week. Yep. So yeah, if you get a chance, check those out. Cause I think both teams are gonna be pretty darn good as well. I that. think so. Yeah. yeah so. I think there's some potential for conference championships in there and, you know, we're reaching the point in the year where we'll probably have coach Fracker, coach Oaks come in and join us yep. for a, a show. So yeah, we'll definitely have uh, more to say about baseball and softball and spring sports as the, uh, the podcast schedule rolls on. Correct, correct. But that'll that'll do it for this episode. For San Yum and Adam in the control room for the Big Sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and thank you for listening to Eye of the Swarm. Mm-hmm.